Welcome to the show. We hope you have a blast. Thanks for making time for the Dealer Talk Podcast. Another business leader, here's a penny for your thoughts. This ain't a regular conversation, baby. This that Dealer Talk. Yeah, this that Dealer Talk. What up? Welcome to another episode of the Dealer Talk Podcast. This is your host, Herb Anderson. Thank you so much for tuning in. What's going on, Miss Charity Ann? What is up? Happy podcast day. How's your day going? It's good. Super stoked for today's conversation. We're going to be talking to none other than Mr. Paul Sansone Jr. He just won the Driving Sales Innovative Idea Contest a couple of weeks ago. And um, it has to do with... Uh, That's um, really incredible idea. Yeah. It, no, but it, I mean, it has to do with financing and... Um, um, you know, short-term leasing and things that I that could be very timely, right? Because mm-hmm. of where we are, you know, just as an industry. And so I'm excited to talk to him, pick his brain, and um, hopefully there's some there's some good takeaways there. We have a new camera here on my end of things, so um, it's, it's I'll one get of those cameras sometime very soon. Right. It's kind of like a panoramic thing. So now you can see this window, which you weren't able to see before. But we're going to roll with it because that's what we do here. And um, yeah, I'm excited. It's going to be a good, good conversation. What's going on in your world, kid? How you doing? Doing pretty good. Fabulous day. Um, so where I live was the Ironman World Championships or the Half Ironman World Championships today. So I woke up this morning, it was a brisk 40 degrees outside. I don't know why anybody jumps into a lake at 40 degrees. <laughs> Those things are crazy. Well, that's why it's called Iron Man and not like... Yeah, they're like next level, but everybody was late to the morning meeting because nobody can get anywhere in town. There were yeah. 5,000 athletes that descended on my sleepy little town this week. Oh man, how is it? How are the? I wonder what the group's gonna. How the sales are gonna go today? Yeesh. Yesterday was brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so super excited about that. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. But it's fun but, to watch um, all the athletes, and it happens every year, so we're used to it. But right on. Well, it is what it is. Um. It, but that, on the other end, for the local economy, that's pretty good, right? Oh, yeah. They didn't have school today. This one's funny. I get a kick out of this. They didn't have school today because they had to use the school buses for the Iron Man. So the city was like, money or education? <laughs> we'll go with money. <laughs> I thought that was funny. The kids didn't complain at all. but I'm sure they did not. So, um, well, a couple announcements here. Just want to um, remind everybody about our Philicard event, which mm-hmm. we are super excited about. You can go to the Philicard link in the show notes to learn more about that. Um, quick shout out to our sponsor, Four Eyes. Whoa, whoa. We love Four Eyes. They're- Woohoo! They're an awesome company. No, but for real, it's not because they, they're a sponsor, but they're they're amazing. They have this new program, the sales enablement program that I'm, I'm really starting to dig. You get this reports every morning of areas of opportunity, what customers have been looking at, things like that. That's just super dope. Just 
arms you with better intelligence. So yeah, I like I like the sales enablement a lot. Um, and it's I like the name, the entirely... coffee report. Yeah. So that's kind of clever. Um, so you can uh, connect with Four Eyes on our on, on the on the link in the show notes of the episode, or if you're watching this on YouTube, go to the video description page and um, yeah, you can set up a set up a, a demo with them there. Um, oh, and they do free trials too, so mm -hmm. sixty days, so you get to try it out for free, which is amazing. <laughs> um, what else? Anything on your end? No, I'm excited about the Philicart events. Um, where are we gonna have pictures? Yeah, no, we're gonna we're gonna have a video crew out there and, and the whole deal. Yeah, for sure. To do a recap. Um, yep, yep. Excited to share that date? with everybody. What was that? Do we have a date? Um, not um not fully secured yet. I mean, mm -hmm. not the not fully secured. I'm just debating i want to do it before thanksgiving but it's going to be the right time it's going to be right yeah so Unlike probably the tuesday or wednesday um, before thanksgiving yeah because i want people to have you know what i mean like if the, the people that qualify to have um have an awesome day that day you know okay I mean? but hang on um turkey wise the wednesday before thanksgiving is a bad day First of all, there yeah, won't be any turkeys just, left. And second not, of all, no, but it's not about it's not about turkeys. It's about filling their fridge. It's about filling their cart. Their oh yeah, no, I totally food. agree with that. I'm just saying. You know what I mean? The turkey will not be unfrozen. Probably Monday then, or something like that. You know, <laughs> just just got to time it right. But and then we have some local sponsors as well here for you know. Uh, distribution of messaging and um, a local grocery store we're partnering with here in Las Vegas too. So they'll, we're working out some details with them potentially matching or, you know, contributing so that we can help more folks, which is mm. awesome. So if you want to help, you can go to the Philicart page and, and fill out uh, your information there, or you can call me at 702-526-0900. Again, 702-526-0900 and um, help us give more. So, okay. Automotive news. All right. Um, let's get into some automotive news. Okay. Automotive news for this week. Um, I had a couple of interesting ones since... Herb, you seem to be so in love with the um, subscription model. There is New Jersey has is trying to pass a bill that will um, limit the type of subscriptions that you can offer for a um, subscription. That was a bad sentence. The new subscription, it aims to combat some of the subscription overreach. Look, it's like there was a writer who was better at this than I was. By preventing the automakers from charging a monthly fee for items without, quote, ongoing expense to the dealer, manufacturer, or any third party, third party service provider. <clears throat> the interpretation of the statement will no doubt determine the bill's efficacy 
should it ever be put into law. So obviously that terminology is up for interpretation and then that's what they're arguing right now. But if that goes into law, then that's going to shift everything probably. Yeah, but it's not going to, it's not going to prevent, um, the, the premise is still going to be there. It's just going to be, you know, obviously there's going to be some limitations, but the, the, the whole, the whole but like heated seats don't fall under that ongoing expense to the dealer manufacturer, third-party service, like a, a subscription for Sirius XM, but a subscription to, but that's not, I don't consider that the kind of subscription that I'm talking about. Like what I'm talking about when I when I talk about subscription, I mean OTA. I mean taking uh, you know, the way I've described it in the show before is like having imagine going to drive a Camry because this already exists with some of the higher end. Like I think Porsche does a really good job with this currently, but imagine going to test drive like a Camry or an Accord, and you're on this test drive, and it's like, hey, you know, um, this is the normal model or whatever but you know we can turn on these filters or these features and it goes from this model to like super duper awesome and so you can do that like during your test drive where you the, the salesperson can just like activate all these things so that the consumer can test these or like happens right now with my car is like you can get these alerts or these updates and then it tells you like if something is available for you to subscribe to um, and who knows, man, like what, it's not, it's not the thing. It's not the subscription per se. It's the, the convenience of it and the, the possibility. That's what I, that's what I like about it. And so with, even with regulation or, you know, people trying to get into, you know, trying to limit it or whatever, it's still, the, it's still going to be a part of the future. There's no question about it. I mean, that's, that's the way that's the way it's going to be. I mean, there's no, just, no, I don't disagree. That that's the way it's going to be. I was just, it's saying how it's going to be might not be articulated. I'm dying with words today. <laughs> Next news. <laughs> Next news. Okay. Here's one that I've, that I wanted to uh, talk about, which is, it's kind of interesting. So the uh, headline reads, U.S. dealership turnover tumbles as employee earnings soar. <laughs> Wait, there's more. Employee turnover at U.S. dealerships in 2021 dropped to its lowest level in at least a decade. Oh, I as bet. Average, as average annual compensation for dealership employee Sword appearing to top the $100,000 mark for the first time. Average industry the turnover average, 34%. What? The average has hit $100,000? Yeah, appearing to top the $100,000 mark for the first time. Damn. Aver average industry turnover was 34% in 2021, the lowest level in 11 year history of the National Automotive Dealer Association's annual dealership workforce study. We were just talking about this. That's, I mean, you and I have talked about this a lot, but I think yeah, my entire sales floor is we've got like one or two new guys. That's it. Everybody else has been in there for over a year or more, two years, which is but so was, weird. Was it like that before or no? No. 
no, 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 not at all. So it's totally weird. But it goes back to what we were saying. What's going to happen? I'm interested in in five years from now, when we're looking at the statistics on this stuff, we should note this moment and come back to it in like two years and see what, as things shift again, hmm. are we going to have, is our, is our turnover rate going to skyrocket? What, um, what do you mean? Like um, turnover? Mm-hmm. So, as things yes. normalize, is that what you're uh -huh. saying? That's what I'm saying. Well, I don't know. Are they going to normalize what's normal? Like, you know, we talked about that and we've talked about that here ourselves. We use that terminology, but I don't, who, what's normal anymore? Like this, this has been, we're going on three years of this deal. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, okay. Um, so that segues into my next one. Wall Street eyes auto industry earnings for signs of demand destruction. So I had to look up what demand destruction was, and I don't actually want to try to. I I hate trying to describe things that I'm not really clear on, but it's that you your supply and demand is going the wrong way, and you are. We, we have so many vehicles and the demand is falling off. So we've been like pumping it up and trying to hold on to things. And then now the demand is dropping and that's apparently. See, I disagree with that. I disagree with, and I've heard a couple people say this, that demand is dropping. I don't think that that's the case. I think that there was a lot of people that um, did not transact during, during COVID. Like, I think it's a significant amount. Oh, I, I, I'm on board with you on that one. I think that there's going to be a lot of people. I mean, we heard it. I've heard it a lot. Oh, I'm going to wait till things cool down before I buy. So I right. think that there's a lot of people in that market. But that is, this is the low hanging fruit, right? Right now, the people who are buying vehicles right now, they, you don't have to work very hard to get them to come into the building and buy those customers. You're going to have to work a little bit harder to get. And your sales teams are not used to that kind of work for, for what, for used cars, just cars in general. What, what, so here's, here's, what cars, what do you mean? What's your question referencing what I just said or the inventory? No, no. I thought you meant when you said like, they're going to have to work a little bit harder. I thought you, you said used cars to they're sell used cars. to work a little bit harder to get those customers in. But who, what customers? I missed that. The part. ones who said, I'm going to wait. I'm going to no, wait. No, I disagree. I was talking no. about DP yesterday and he was asking me like, what do you think? Where, where do you see the market? What, what's, what's the marketing uh, play here? Um, to me, it's simple. It's, um, it's just going to have to be more targeted, more VIN specific, more um, 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 capturing consumer intent and then offering an experience that allows a customer to um, order what they want because customers are getting more used to the idea now that they have to wait to get their car. So I think on the new car side of things, that's what's going to be the play. And do, if you do that effectively, that can trickle into um, activity for the used car side, because 
if you have a good sales team and you have a good uh, BDC department, then they can ask the right questions. Like everything should be a why, 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 mm -hmm. why, why. That should be, if you're not asking at least five to eight whys in a conversation, you're not asking enough. Because if you, if you get all that information, because think about it, the customer wants a new car. They're already expecting that they're going to have to wait. So they go to a website, maybe they go to an order vehicle form or something like that. They put an order in or whatever. And I know that varies from manufacturer to manufacturer, but just come along this journey with me for a minute. So you fill out the form, a lead triggers, BDC calls, and then somebody on the other end says, oh yeah, we don't have that car. It's going to take 10 months to get or whatever. Where does that conversation mm -hmm. go from there? It's done. You're done. That's it. Right. But if you're like, oh, hey, Mr. Customer, yeah, why do you like this car? Why these features? Why this price? Why this? Why, 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 why? Okay. Now you have a bunch of information and you can say like, well, yeah, you know, okay, so here's a process. Maybe we have an allocation or whatever. Please come to the store so we can put you with a, prof with a, um, a professional, a consultant or whatever the, the, the spiel is there. Um, or you can, you can, you can have that information, not, or, but you can have that information ready for when that customer comes in with the sales associate, like, Hey, these are the things that the customer wants. These are the things that the customer deems important. And then you can have pre-selected vehicles that you can, while you're taking an order, if that's what you're going to do, you can be like, Hey, you know, we have these cars here, blah, blah, blah. The, you know, right now the, the depreciation conversation is huge. Like, you know, buying a used car is you're not taking on the depreciation. You can get a, 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 a certified unit, you know, whatever you have available to kind of offer an alternative. I don't know. I just think that that's, that the demand is there. It's just getting the customer, getting that customer, capturing the consumer intent online, dropping them into an experience or a sandbox that can, um, uh, you know, get with that customer to give information. Right. Yeah. To get that customer to give agents that know what. Right. And then that's that triggers. That's what I mean. That triggers everything. Your customers that you're working with in the last two years, you didn't need experienced people on the phone. They're just like tripping over themselves to come buy cars at 5,000 over. The customers that we're going to be coming into are going to be more. Why are you looking for that vehicle? I, t I, you know this, but my, I tell my team every phone call, you need to know who, what, where, when, why, and how. On right. Every call. But, so that we're now we're getting into a different area because we're talking, I, I mentioned, I talking, I'm talking marketing. What's the marketing play? Because it's like, well, you know, it's going to be really hard to market or whatever. No, it's not. It, it, it's not going to be hard at all. In my opinion, I think the consumers are there. The demand is there. People are looking all the time and um, increased rates. I wasn't talking about marketing. I know. I was talking about. I know. I was though. I was saying that's the marketing play. And then mm -hmm. what happens is on the other side of the message. Mm -hmm. So the message goes out, and then the mm -hmm. dealer receives the message. That's where things. That's where the disconnect's going to be. Is yeah, how I agree. prepared. Yeah, how prepared is a dealership internally, personnel, their departments, their experience to capitalize on that on that intent and and either flip it into I mean you can get the order and wait or flip it into a used car which is you know which should be what is um, ideal most stores are focusing on in my opinion. So on a on a side note, I ran into something the other day that I hadn't run into before. And apparently it's more common than 
not, but I didn't run into it. We had a dealer tell us that we couldn't buy a new car without a trade-in. A dealer said that? Yeah. Like you were secret shopping or what? I don't. Oh, well, yeah, that's, so that is, um, that's interesting. That means that that, that's what Chris Martinez was talking about. That's one of those stores that doesn't go to the auction to buy a car. (laughs) And you probably go to their lot and they have like five cars outside. (laughs) Yeah. That's ridiculous. Um, I'm sorry. I don't want to like offend anybody (laughs) because maybe that's your strategy, but that's just not smart, man. I don't know. It's just yeah. my take. Like you don't have cars and you're going to just work on trades. Like good luck. I don't get that, man. Why are, why are dealers so resistant to take risk? I don't, I don't understand. Well, like, I would challenge that. I don't know if dealers are resistant to taking risks. I think that dealers are, they are habitually avoid certain risks. Um, um, like they take risks on vendors all the time. They're always trying new things. Yeah, but that's different. I'm talking about like, why don't you have, why are you not buying cars? Like you should be, well, they're, first of all, this is the 10th consecutive week of decreases. So of 1% decreases on inventory values. So that means Mm -hmm. two things. One, cars are cheaper. So stop thinking that cars are super expensive. Maybe they still are in relationship to 2019, but they're coming down. The values are coming down Two, you have to have something to sell, man. Like, like, I mean, that's just, I mean, come on. And three is on the flip side. If you do have a bunch of aged inventory and you're just holding, or you're, you're, you do what I've seen a lot of dealers do, which is continue to increase their price. Good luck. Take the hit now get off that car and then go buy some more inventory. Like, I don't, I don't get it. Like everybody's, you know, we're, they're getting to the levels that we were when the, when the, when COVID first hit and everybody was panicking. Um, like that's, this is not the time to pump the brakes. In my opinion, you should be buying cars. I'm just saying, and get rid of the cars that you have. Stop increasing prices. Just, you know, if somebody offers you, a thousand dollars and you have the opportunity to make a thousand dollars on a car, just move it, get rid of it. The, the market's not going to, you know, we got used to the market going up and that's just not, not realistic. Anyway, next. What goes back to the normalizing part. Right. There you <laughs> it's go. not going to be up on the top that it's been on forever. That, wa- that wave's going to crash. It's going to come down. It already is crashing, but that doesn't, you know, you still need cars. You still need to sell stuff. You can't just, you know, I don't, I don't know. All right. Moving on. Here's another one. Electric vehicles, uh, charging stations are popping up everywhere, sparking a growing demand for technicians trained to service them. Certified EV supply equipment technicians are among the many new kinds of jobs being created by the shift toward cleaner transportation. Uh, so it says here, I like this, this, the way they broke this down because it says why, why it matters that, uh, the nascent EV movement could stall if consumers can't find a charger when they need one or worse, if they meticulously plan out their, their charging stops only to be 
thwarted by broken plugs. And <laughs> two things. One, that's really, I mean, that's, it's, it's cool to see the, the infrastructure and the, and the, and the push towards, towards, you know, the, the future, obviously that's creating, it sparks some questions for me from my uh, service background. One is we've been on a, on a, a technician shortage, quote unquote, for several years now. And, um, I just, I don't know, man. I, I wonder what, what kind of pockets the, the situation is going to create for uh, traditional technicians to migrate to the EV side. And what, what does that even look like? Um, and then our dealers preparing for this because there's, I'm having a lot of conversations with decision makers and they're very, um, they're non-believers. They're like, oh yeah, there's a lot of talk about this, but it's not going to happen. And I feel like they're not taking the necessary steps to, um, prepare and create infrastructure and do things from having technicians that can work on these cars to having charging ports at all of their locations. Um, you know what I mean? I don't know. Do you disagree? What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think that we have a, we do have a tendency when we're having conversations like this um, to say, are the dealerships prepared the dealer or better yet to frequently say the dealerships aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing they're not prepping themselves they're not going to be ready for this we say it we've said it with the service drive we've said it when covid started and we were like hey everybody's got to we gotta and now we're saying that with evs maybe we should be saying what are the dealers doing to prepare for this instead let's flip it on its head so what are some of the things that dealers are doing to prepare for this but, and that's my that's my that's why i wanted to bring this up because i personally don't see the push i don't see a lot of stores you know like i i, I just don't see a lot of stores that have the 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 charging ports that's key number one right if you're selling these cars shouldn't you start putting because there, there are selling a lot more teslas and a lot more evs if you're selling these cars how are you ensuring that the customer wouldn't it be awesome if the customer could come back and charge at your store i think that'd be super awesome that would you be get the a customer to come back often they they become more accustomed as far as a loyalty play i think that's huge oh yeah number two <clears throat> is um what about the technician side? The other day I went to get, I pulled up into a store with my Tesla. All I needed was my, 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 uh, batteries, my, not my battery, my, my, uh, air failed on my tires. But as soon as I pulled up, everybody was freaking out. Like, Oh, we can't work on this car. Why? You know, I was like, Hey, relax, man. I just need hair on the tires. <laughs> you know, like, dude, what happens when you sell that car and the car, the customer comes back just to get their tires rotated in there windshield washer fluid filled out you can't do you're you're not going to do that work you're going to be like oh no sorry you have to go to them to, to i mean come on like that's that's the kind of stuff that that concerns me quite frankly it's just it's kind of weird well um, i think that there's a lot of things coming down the pipeline there was somebody that commented on linkedin on one of our it was on your linkedin and they said they didn't create the infrastructure for gas stations before the gas car was built. 
And I was like, Ooh, that's a good point. Like of these things. So, are going wait, wait, wait. So what you're saying is because we made a mistake or we didn't do things the right way back then, we, it's okay for us to do the, well, why is to that, do it the same just, way now. Is that what no, I'm hearing? That's not what I'm saying at all. Why, why is that the wrong way to do things? You're because saying, I mean, that's the chicken and the egg right there. No, right? it's, it's not like we know, we know that EVs are, are, are coming. We know that from a state um, regulation, they're pushing hard for this agenda. You know what I mean? We also know that, that it's not going to be a full on 100% takeover, but it's coming. So what are we going to wait for? We're going to we're And now we're selling more of these cars and we're not offering the buyers of these vehicles the opportunity to service their car at our stores, charge their vehicles at our stores. And that's, in my opinion, like if you wait for this to catch on, it's going to be late. Well, you know and I mean? don't disagree with that. Every time we have this conversation or any of these conversations about what's coming next with, with financial stuff or with the EVs, I think of one of my agents, 20 year old kid, he says to me, what aren't we seeing? Maybe I've told you this before. What aren't we seeing? What, what ways to make money are there that we don't know about yet? Every time we have these conversations and we talk to somebody who's like, finds a little bit of a niche, I think, Ooh, that one right there, that was one of those spots. This is one of those two. Like, what are some of the ways that a dealership can capitalize on the impending changes coming our way? And that's, that's what I mean. Like, and what worries me is that I have these conversations and I ask these questions and the decision makers whether it be the GMs to the to the um, uh, C-level executives or whatever, they're not taking it. They, I don't think that they fully believe that this is gonna that this is coming and it's coming, you know, sooner rather than later. And that's my and that's that's my point. Is hey, this is like let's let's just start building the infrastructure for this stuff. Let's make sure that we have technicians that can because. Here's what, what what's going to happen too, like the, the, on, on the service side, and this is just my my take, but I, like the article says, they need technicians to work on these cars. So they're going to start poaching within an already um, understaffed segment of our business, right? That's what, that's what I would do. It makes the most sense. Hey, you're already a technician. How about you come here over on the EV side? We'll train you or whatever. We'll, so um I don't yeah. know. I just, yeah, but who's training? These companies. I'm just saying, like, if I was at Tesla or something like that, I would be offering the opportunity for people that are that are already in the industry to migrate over to, um, to to to. So for work any on of the service guys that are listening to avid fans of our podcast, so that's I your window, guys. I'm just saying. Well, I mean, if they if depends, it depends on what their situation is, but you know, money talks, man. Um, so anyway, um, I, th I thought it was, it was very funny because, um, um, the article also talks about like broken, broken stations and things like that. And I, uh, I, <laughs> I went to charge my car the other day and like three of the ports that I, that I went to use, <laughs> none of them worked. I was like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> this is so annoying. So I think. Um, I, I think that the most fascinating thing I've run into with 
with the Tesla or with the Teslas, with the EVs. And we've had this discussion. The etiquette blows my mind. Ah, I'm still stuck on that. I had a friend who needed me to charge their EV at 7 a.m. So I drive over to the charging station and I plug their car in because it was just vibing at the charging station. And then I drove home and somebody had come along and unplugged the freaking charger. (laughs) What? Like if I was pumping gas, somebody's not going to walk up and take the gas pump out of the car and put it in theirs. Like Yeah, but it's also not going to take 40 minutes for it to fill with gas. That's that's the downside of that. That was my mind. So then I started asking people about it and somebody had told me that there's videos of people sitting in their EVs charging and then all of a sudden somebody walks up to their car and unplugs their car. Yeah. And takes the charger. What? That's not good. But okay, anyway, let's get into our blog post of the week. Okay, so uh our blog post of the week today is all about um uh just uh it's about our sponsor mainly, right? We've been on this theme where we're talking about the, the our partners, and Four Eyes happens to be one of the partners that we work with, but they're also the main sponsor of the show. And so I kind of want to uh, preface that from the gate. But I really like the, the, you know, like we are in a in a in a weird place right now with technology and just from the from the market standpoint. And I really like how Four Eyes uses technology um, that makes you smarter about the activity that's already happening on your website, mm-hmm. from uh, what people are looking at, from offering alternatives. And now, like we mentioned earlier with the sales enablement report, it, it sends you a report on a daily that tells you that just makes you smarter. Like when you're following up with your customers, it makes you smarter internally of what your, your salespeople are doing and, um, you know, some areas of opportunity if there's missed things. Um, and then they have other, other uh, products like, um, like I call it a safety net where they make sure that lead that are missing the CRM mm-hmm. that you are aware of those so that you can uh, re-engage. So um, it's a very interesting uh, time right now where we are with the technology that exists for websites because to me, a lot of the stuff that they do should already be part of a website. It shouldn't be something that you buy on a separate. It should already, the, our websites need to get smarter. You know what I mean? They just need to do more things. They're very just front-facing um, and we want to, we talk a lot about merchandising and making sure that we have photos and comments and all these things, but nothing happens to the traffic, uh, that is getting there as far as, I mean, you can go to analytics and see certain behaviors, but that should all be already pre-built in the website in my opinion. Well, and I think and it should be one of the things that I was thinking about this the other day, <laughs> you have automated emails that go out. You have all kinds of software that'll tell you who's on your website at what point. The difference, the differentiator between Four Eyes and those programs is that they're intuitive enough to react to it, to do something about it. They send out an email, and then if the customer behaves in certain ways, it reacts. 
that's it. It really does become almost an assistant to you when a lot of the other programs aren't. Yeah. And the, you know, we're, we're going to put a link uh, to that full article in the show notes. So you can go and check it out there to learn more about four eyes mm -hmm. and, and kind of the benefits, especially in the current times that we're in. But, um, you know, I really like that there's dealer centric, which is, you know, we, we make sure that we work with companies that are really focused on, on dealer mm -hmm. success. And the, these folks definitely do that. And, um, the best testament of their, of kind of what they, what the value that they bring and how they're, they're, they're building products, in my opinion, is that they give you a free trial. So you get 60 days to try their products out. No questions asked. You don't like it. Then, you know, shake hands, be friends and move on. But, um, a company that's willing to do that, to put their, put the, to get you to try it for 60 days at no cost. I mean, call it what you will, if you think that it's a, uh, it's a strategy or whatever, but man, I mean, you get to test it and see for yourself before you start paying for it. That seems very, um, you have to have a lot of confidence in your product and the ability to, to deliver value to do something like that, in my opinion. So agreed. Anyways, um, that's our blog post for the week. Check it out. Four eyes. You're awesome. Love working with you. Thanks for sponsoring the show. Second season in a row. And we are ready to introduce our guest, none other than Mr. Paul Sansone Jr. All right, Paul, welcome to the show, man. We're super excited to talk to you. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Right on, sir. So we kick things off here with an uh, intro. So tell us about you. Well, I'm 40 years in the car business. I'm second generation. I'm blessed to actually have a third generation. I have two uh, sons and a nephew in the business with me. Um, I uh, was part of a family organization, went out on my own about 12 years ago. And I've always um, looked at uh, uh, ways in which to develop relationships with customers and network selling has always been my my forte. So I've always had a little bit of a creative slant to some of the ways that I've operated my business. I've got five dealerships, uh, two Nissan, Kia, Mitsubishi, and another Kia on the way and a separate used car operation. So it's been a great time to be a car dealer. For sure. Right on, right on. So um, I wanted to talk to you. We met uh, over at uh, Digital Dealer and you had some very interesting uh, perspectives that I want to share. But um, before we get into that, tell us about the, the driving sales um, um, contest. I know you, you got first place. How was that experience like? And I don't know, maybe you can share with us a little bit of what that, what that idea was. <clears throat> Well, uh, first off, I was asked, as the, I heard almost 100 people applied to present the best idea uh, to uh, driving sales to discuss with the dealers. I was one of the four or five selected uh, from the original presentation. And it was very difficult to convey in five minutes what is a 
uh, longer process, but apparently my idea of creating your own uh, subprime leasing company and opening up the additional revenues resonated because we were fortunate enough to win the best idea. So I was very proud of that and actually had had quite a lot of dealership interest since the show because of it. So I was excited about it. Now more than ever, businesses need more efficient sales. That's why thousands of dealerships trust Four Eyes to help with things like automated inventory email updates and ensuring all of your leads get into the CRM. To try Four Eyes for free, visit foureyes.io slash dealer talk. That's foureyes.io slash dealer talk. Right on. I, you know, it's funny because um, obviously right now it seems like a really good time to um, test things, especially on the, on the financial side. Um, what do you, what's your take on where we are right now as far as interest rates and you know, the inventory shortage? Well, and all first of all, my motivation, as I said in the, originally, the idea of uh, the profits we've all been enjoying uh have been somewhat mesmerizing i've grown accustomed to it and i realize as many that it will not last so while times were good is where i started looking at developing other revenue sources because i was not anticipating it to stay where it was and i wanted to be ready uh with other revenue sources so that i can do that and my forte uh, has always been working with customers with less than perfect credit. I think dealers are, um, you know, dealers and say, okay, right, where can I generate revenue? Obviously, I don't think it's we're going to make more per car than we have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many more cars you're going to sell is subject and subject to how many you're going to get. So certainly, used cars as a variable is one opportunity. Taking market share from others is the other way to go. Um, And I mean, yes, the dealer can improve parts and service, but relative to the income that I feel can be generated, I felt it was more uh, profitable to go after used cars slash subprime. And in the in the mix of it, I found that there was a huge emerging market that this has been spectacular with, and that's the Hispanic market. So if you said, okay, how am I, if I was going to look at a market to try to have a product for that others don't, you know, the subprime market represents 20 to 25% of all consumers. You mm-hmm. had the, the, mm-hmm. the emerging Hispanic market. In fact, I've only talked to one dealer when I asked, do you have a, a, a growing Hispanic community? I've only had one dealer say, not really. Everybody wow. else has been absolutely it's a market we would love to have a product that works for them because they don't generally qualify for a lot of the traditional, at least the, the new, the new immigrants coming in generally won't qualify for mm-hmm. a lot of the original proposals. So this has been a wonderful product for that, um, you know, for that community. Did you feel like you ran into a, when you first proposed the idea of subprime leasing, did you run into a lot of resistance from people? Well, first off, it is, I am an early adapter. And again, mm-hmm. I developed this for myself. The real mental motivation was I originally had 
a rent-to-own business model, same concept, but different mechanics make it work, mm -hmm. where you could rent a car, I gave you a portion of the rent back, we worked with a credit improvement component. It was, I was really always tying in the credit improvement component with a customer to help them get into more traditional financing. Mm -hmm. So the rent-to-own model uh, was wonderful. Did several hundred of customers in that business model, but because cost of insurance, uh, lack of ability to floor plan that model and other things, it, it lacked the technology in this space, that space, didn't allow for it. And when it all started, it really started in 08 or 09, when there was mm -hmm. a real need for me to come up with something creative. After a few years, credit markets loosened up quite a bit and there was not as much of a need, but it was always in the back of my head. How do you help the subprime community, A, get a, a car that's nice? How do you also help them improve their credit? And also, how do you uh, how do you retain their ownership? And I got an email, just like many dealers do, and you delete most of them from the vendors, delete, delete, delete. And the heading just happened to say, lease here, pay here. So I was like, well, lease here, pay here. I know what buy here, pay here is. Uh, mm -hmm. It was never a model that, while it serves the subprime community, it was never a model that I was attracted to. And I'm not going to knock the industry because I do believe they serve a purpose. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to create something that uh, did the same thing, serve that community, but in, in my opinion, a more consumer friendly uh, avenue than what they did. Yeah, for sure. The I used to, when I first started in in the business, I, I worked at a, at a Dodge store. And then I moved over to a tiny little independent dealer that worked with subprime customers. And I had never, I'd never worked with subprime before at all. So that was, it was really eye opening to me because when you come from the big dealerships that work with, you know, 700 credits and they, the, the culture around struggling credit is so negative and then you get into the subprime customer base and they're just need cars like <laughs> well if you're a sub if you're a good uh, i always say i'm lending to good people with low credit scores so um you know some of the acronyms about people with low credit score i, I think are very derogatory i think that's mm -hmm. the first step i've never looked at them as with some of those negative connotations that others did i think if life hasn't happened to us personally, we all know mm -hmm. somebody that's a good person that life happened to. To yeah. me, that is the person that I am attracted to as far as trying to help with my product to help them change their future. You think about a subprime borrower, no one can change whatever happened yesterday. Yeah. Whatever, you're 490 today, your fault, not your fault, 500 credit score, whatever your story is, that's where you are today. The difference with mm -hmm. my program is I'm going to give you the ability to change your future. I can't, no one can change your past, but my product can actually change your future by A, us saying yes, and B, working with the credit, uh, the credit coach that we provide to help you build your credit score. And the, the average customer credit score lift is 160 points. So that's rather transformational. Yeah, uh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's rather <laughs> transformational. How long are they on the 
on your program? Anywhere. Uh, let me explain first of all. Let me so it all ties together. Yeah. We we <laughs> operate. Le the lease year pay here works with fit my business model because a the consumer was getting their own insurance. I didn't have to deal with that. B it allowed me to structure terms anywhere. I use short-term leasing anywhere from 12 to 48 months and um, as, as our product. So, uh, so you as a subprime borrower, it's just setting up like another lender, different rates, terms, residuals, it's just for your managers. That's the beauty of this is that you don't need separate business building. You don't need separate personnel. You're just providing your desk a separate credit alternative for those that fit your my credit box and what we teach other dealers what their credit box is. But assuming, you know, Charity Ann is a nice person with a good story, but has a previous, a low credit score, we can offer you the ability to lease a car, again, 12 to 48 months. And part of that lease, uh, obviously gap insurance, maintenance, uh, alternate mm -hmm. transportation, if the car breaks down, we're very customer service oriented, but part of that lease is the free credit coach that comes with it. So you have the ability at 50% of your lease are structured so that you have, basically you have equity at 50% of the lease. If you have a 48 month lease at 24 months, you have equity. And you don't need to be a finance expert to realize if you have equity and an improved credit score, you're pretty easy, you're much easier to get approved than somebody that's out of equity with low credit score. So very simply, that's what happens in our process. We allow a customer by the mechanics of the lease to build equity quickly. And then also by the mechanics of, uh, we do report to the credit bureaus. So A, that's mm -hmm. a positive on your trade line, but also working with a free credit coach really gives you tips on legitimate tips on how to improve your credit to maximize your performance. And again, with a 160 point credit score left, we have people going from subprime borrowers to near prime yeah. to even prime borrowers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's the positive human element of, of the product is, I mean, I feel like we're uh, transformationally, you know, we're changing people's lives financially at least uh, because, yeah. you know, the car is one aspect, but, insurance yeah. rates, so many things, credit card rates. I actually, I hate to keep talking like this, but I actually, <laughs> have, I don't want to ramble, but I actually have a Hispanic family that now owns a home because they started out, couldn't get a car, got the car, built the credit, got to the point. He invited us to his, uh, to his housewarming party. I mean, really I pretty, that. pretty cool Paul. stuff. So Paul, let me ask you this. I am, um... You know, uh, like a year and a half or so ago, I was thinking and talking to some of my dealers about the possibility of doing um, used car leasing. And my thought behind it was, well, look, you have a bunch of people that can't get what they want. They're having to settle. So what if they, what if we, you offered a program where they could get maybe, you know, lease a vehicle for now until the vehicle that they actually want becomes available. And then you take that car and, you know, you, you resell it and then you put the customer into the right, the right car, the car that they actually wanted to buy. Because I feel there's going to be a lot of things down the pipe here that are COVID related. They're going to have some impacts 
you know, obviously people getting on cars for too much and being underwater on their deals um, and the negativity that comes with uh, market adjustments and what that's mm-hmm. going to do to that specific dealer and their specific communities. Is this something that, that you, what, do, what do you think about, you know, is that, was that something that we could have done at, at that point? Because the resistance that I always got was like, hey, yeah, that's a good idea, but insuring the car is, is the bigger problem or finding the bank that's going to do that. Um, how are you able uh, to put this together? Well, uh, first off, about used car leasing. Yes, I'm used car leasing, but my target audience is a, a, a group that never that would not be available to, and that's the uh, subprime audience. And I'll get to why the subprime audience works. Used car leasing... I'm a dealer. It wasn't it wasn't attractive to me because it was easier for me to just have a long term finance deal. Mm-hmm. You know, if you come to me for a deal, here's a 36 month lease. Your payments is X or 48 month lease. Here's here's a 72 month finance. Your payments are X. You know, it's just a lot easier to deal with. I didn't have to get into the explanation of it. it so right. it wasn't adoptable even at my own dealership. Used car leasing. Well, I do understand the value of a short-term product versus long-term. Uh, you know, I, that's the only reason the, the, the leasing is just a way for me to facilitate the financing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not a finance lender. I don't have to qualify for Reg Z. I am a, I'm leasing a car. So there's different regs that go along with that, which made it easier for me to get a leasing license. Um, the components that make this work is the big, the biggest thing a dealer has to decide really two things. One is, do I have the ability to interview a customer and select a customer that's a good person with a low credit score versus a bad credit customer? Very simple. It's selection. That's the first thing. Now, that doesn't mean if I have a subprime borrower that does not fit my selection process, that doesn't mean I don't sell them a car. Mm-hmm. I still sell them a car. I just go through the traditional sources. So what right. I'm doing is I'm taking what I'm calling, you know, the cream of the crop or the ones that fit my credit box that I feel comfortable with. And I'm saying, I'm giving you an option that I believe by far is the best financial option for you and your family. The customer you, will love. I'm sorry, yeah, how do you identify which customers fall into that category? Uh, well, that's the secret sauce, process. right? That's yeah, the secret sauce. Well, of course. No, no, no. The, the fact is, there are some math metrics: time on job, right. income earned. I mean, the sure. number one thing is a math equation. I, I make X, I can afford to pay Y. You know, so number one is just a math equation that we lay out. But I believe most dealerships that have a seasoned general sales manager, finance manager with a structured interview can identify somebody that has a legitimate story and is ready to move forward Mm -hmm. versus somebody that just doesn't care. That is, you know, so to me, that selection is very important. And we are putting in some technology upgrades that I'm beta testing for myself because I've generated 500 of these leases in the last two years. You know, almost 400 active accounts still currently or 370, whatever, mm-hmm. five active accounts. So I'm at the point where I want to use the analytics. I mean, real data analytics to yeah. say, okay, 
you're more likely to perform better than this person. But that's not necessary for a dealer to say, how do I get started? How I get started is I have to have somebody that really has a commitment and longevity at the dealership. I would not recommend it for a dealership that has turnover, somebody that, you know, doesn't care about the future of the store. You know, so you do have to have that trusted opinion, but somebody needs to have that opinion. But if you have that um, guttural feel for it, which I believe many, many, many dealers do, if you have that feel for it and you have that longevity interest, I believe you can select good people with low credit scores. And that's the basis of it. And by doing that, that opens up additional revenue opportunities. And right. this is really the secret sauce. Besides the selection, if you look at a subprime lender, the subprime lender makes money lending money, knowing that there's mm-hmm. risk. And I do want to talk about the risk. Uh, yeah. You know, if we get them, the subprime lender, you pay interest rate, whatever, they have a, a model that there's a PL effect on lending a bad person or a low credit score customer uh, money. That's fine. But for me, I have that same risk, but I also have the revenue of the initial sale. I have the revenue as the lender. So I have additional revenue sources that even a subprime lender doesn't have available tied in with the same customer. That's a good point. And on these successful conversions, I actually have a third revenue when I bring you back as an improved credit score with equity that now I'm reselling you a car. And yeah, I really have generated, I have really three revenues from one sale, the initial sale, the income generated as the lease lender, and then the revenue generated for those that improve their credit, have equity and trade up and out or refinance. So I actually, by doing this, have opened up uh, uh, other revenue sources that were never available. And that's where we're really almost end to end. It's almost a $13,000 profit for me on the successful conversion. So that's rather lucrative. So so I want to, two things I want to touch on. I want to go back to the selection because that is a, you know, obviously what you're, what you're doing is analyzing risk and you're doing it based on a certain profile, I'm sure, right? You have a certain profile customer that has been proven to you that this falls into. And if that person meets certain requirements, then, you know, they, they qualify, right? Because I'm assuming that you're financing this internally, or you st- at least have to start doing it yourself before you, you know, you got it going. Um, so if that's the case, how, and I don't know, maybe that's not your goal, but how is this, how can we replicate this for other dealers to, 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 um, benefit from, from a program like this? Is this something you're trying to do? Like, or is this something that yeah. you're just using for yourself? Well, again, it, uh, just, I started out as a client to a technology company of lease here, pay here. Within a year, the technology company came to me and said, what are you doing? How are you doing it? Because we have never been able to get the franchise dealer world to be attracted to lease here, pay here. And nobody's had the results that we have seen with you other than maybe a small independent. So we met and he saw our business model. And we partnered and we are bringing it out to the market as dealer controlled leasing. So I am a dealer that created a product for myself and I'm now a a 50-50 partner with my technology company bringing this to the market because we do feel it's scalable 
and replicatable. Right. Now, you brought about there there you brought about the subjectiveness of the uh, somewhat of the saying yes or no, and that's where, as I've said, there is a self assessment a dealer needs to take to say, is this something I want to do? Mm-hmm. Right. First, am I comfortable in the subprime market? If you're not comfortable in subprime market, it's very difficult. I'm not going to be able to teach a dealer the subprime market. It's not, mm-hmm. right. I, I think the dealer that would be attracted to this is somebody that is already there and is frustrated with some of the no's that you're getting because we every day dealers are talking to people that are getting no's and you're like, man, that was, yeah, that's a deal. That's a customer. Mm-hmm. I have the ability to say, oh, that's a deal. I, now it is a deal. You know, every day that happens at a dealership where they interview people, I can't get approved. That is somebody that should be driving a car today, regardless yeah. of rates or terms. So, so that is happening every day at the dealership. Um, and you have uh, right now, so I have just created a product that allows the dealer to do it. So A, comfortable in the subprime arena. B, Somebody that again has that stability or that 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 person of thought at their dealership that say, okay, I trust Charity Ann's opinion on this deal. Now I have a second level of approval, just to let you know. So I have my central dealership. I have other dealerships. So we have one leasing company, and all the all the deals are going into one leasing company. So assume. Um, you know, Charity Ann is a manager at my dealership, does an interview, I trust her opinion, structures a deal, boom, she says yes. I have a, a what I call a welcome call prior to funding, just like other subprime banks, but somebody that has nothing to do with selling the car. Somebody has nothing to do that making the profit of the sale. Mm-hmm. Just a customer service call that says, you know, Bob. You're comfortable with the program, comfortable with the payment, basically does another soft interview. You understand how the credit improvement component works. You understand our guarantee. Mm-hmm. We actually offer a guarantee at 50% of your payments made that we can transition you out of the lease or loan, which is hugely important. You know, so we just have a, a nice, warm, friendly welcome call. And if we have a customer that says, ah, it really wasn't a car I wanted. Oh, the payments are a little too high. Uh, I, 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 I thought I can trade out of this in six months. Anything negative mm-hmm. as a protection for me and my money, boom, back to the dealership, make sure the customer is fully satisfied, fully engaged, understands everything completely, or else it won't be a successful uh, program. So I'm going to ask you a question, and this is a question out of ignorance, but um, you know, forgive me in advance, but it's, I just... I'm trying to understand this in my own brain. So um, I, I used to consult with the dealership in the Las Vegas area, who's one of the biggest independent uh, buy here, pay here. And he used to say like the best, that's, this is the best way to own a dealership because I, I have, you know, X million dollars out on the street that um, is coming back to me all the time. Like I'm, I'm selling a car for four, 4,000 repoing it in two months. And then I get to sell that car all over again and sell it all over again. Um, what do you, what is your take on that in, re, in, in regards to the program? Because you touched on something that that's, that's, that 
caught my attention and you said like i have to protect my investment and and doing so i'm kind of not forced or obligated those are not the right terms but motivated to offer the best experience possible um well again uh, again exactly why uh, what you're wh whoever you're referring to is exactly why i don't want to be in the buy here pay here business mm -hmm. my success is the consumer success transitioning out of a subprime my business model is not to sell cheaper cars that won't last that i can repossess and that i don't care about the outcome i care deeply about the outcome and any mm -hmm. dealer that does this should care about the outcome uh, and again i I tell my managers, uh, high-fiving, uh, uh, delivering a 490 credit score is not the high-five moment. The high-five moment is when that 490 credit score is now a 650 and mm -hmm. they're getting a lower rate and term and they're back at our door. That's the high-five. That's the high-five right. moment. So I am completely different than buy here. The only thing that's the same as buy here, pay here is mentally I'm loaning my money to someone with low credit score. That's the only thing that's similar. Right. But I like that. I like the fact that it's different. I like the fact, and that's why I mm -hmm. wanted to have the two contrasting um, opinions because I like that you're motivated to um, make sure that the customer is fully satisfied. I think that that's, that's awesome, right? Because you wanna make sure that that customer gets everything that they, that they want or need in order for, for that transaction to be a success. And in doing that, you create a bond and a partnership with that customer that, just keeps paying you dividends, right? No, no doubt about it. I, uh, like I said, I, I, I do, I do care. Uh, you know, bottom line is I do care. I don't want to be predatory, but mm -hmm. I want to be very clear. You're a subprime borrower today, as I said before. Whatever created that, you're there. Let's just give you a path out of there if you want. If you want the path out of there, that's totally. That's that's a that I call it the pain before the gain, because mm -hmm. it is easier not to care about your credit it's harder to care about your credit and do what it takes mm -hmm. to improve your credit you know i'm not saying we will we most likely are not going to be your cheapest payment we will be your lowest cost of ownership and i want you know understand why the only way you transition somebody out of subprime and again you're in the car business we can deliver you a high interest rate long-term loan and there's many many sales managers, F&I managers that would say, hey, make your first 12 payments and come back to us and we'll trade you out of the car. I'm sure you've heard that before. Mm. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. The reality is it can't happen with a long-term finance rate because you're so far out of equity mm -hmm. that it can't happen. So that equity component is a very important part of the process of transitioning out of subprime. So I have an example in my presentation where I had a customer that was a low credit score, offered $2,500 down, quick math, $450 a month, would have cost her $35,000 to own that car. She chose a short-term lease, 36 months. Her payments were $650 a month, so $200 more a month. But refinancing at the halfway point, she could have saved almost five $6,000. So I don't say it's the cheapest pain. It's not going to be the lowest payment by design because you need to get equity. So her payoff at 18 months was almost dollar for dollar. The $200 extra she was paying is almost like it's a down payment for the future. The mm -hmm. payoff difference is almost exactly $3,600.
I mean, the, yeah, the $3,600. And that is mechanically, mathematically, what is happening in our short-term lease is your payments are higher by design because A, honestly, I want to be in an equity. I'm the lender. Mm-hmm. I want to protect right. my asset. I want to be in an equity position as fast as possible. But also you, the consumer, our our motivations are aligned. You, the consumer, also want to get into an equity position as fast as possible because the real financial win is when we get you a 7, 8, 9, 10% rate versus 22, 24, 26% rates that are being offered to these people. Yeah, that's it's super interesting. So I we read we have a, a section. It's called automotive news section. We started that this this season, and we've been reading things that kind of you know catch our attention and kind of discussing them prior to having the guests on the show. And one we did last week, I think, or maybe two episodes ago. Nissan has uh, started the, a short term lease program. It's five thousand miles per year, and then you can buy miles as you as you need them. And, um, you know, I think that we're in a, we're in a, we're in a, we're in a very interesting time right now with, mm-hmm. with what's going on in the industry and having those alternatives, I think it's, it's really, really, um, it's necessary. It's how do, how can we look at the business that we have right now and maximize opportunities? Do you think that, um, something like this could serve well a, um, a franchise store, and if so, how do how do how do they do it? How do they get that going? Well, again, my company, Dealer Controlled Leasing, Dealer Controlled Leasing. As I said, I started as a client to a technology company. Mm-hmm. Now I'm a partner bringing this business model to dealerships. The reason this is, in my opinion, perfect for the franchise dealer is, as I said, it's not buy here, pay here. This is a bolt on to your dealership. The only thing you do have to do is we establish, you create a separate LLC, a separate leasing company, but that's the semantics. That's just technically I'm deciding my, your desk managers are desking deals. Yes. As you develop business in your leasing company, the the really only additional expense is the cost of collections. Um, And again, the cost of customer service, I'm at a point, as I said, we're bumping on 400 active accounts. Now I I really, besides two additional customer service collectors, and think about it, we're generating well over $250,000 a month and growing with two collection people, collectors, you know, whatever you want to call them. That's pretty low cost of expense relative to dollars generated. But now I am bringing in a manager because I have so many clients, it's a full, it's a full portfolio. But for right. a dealer to start, you don't start with 400 accounts. You right. start with one account. You start with yeah. five a month. You start with 10 a month. You learn the process. You learn where you're saying the, the yes is a no. But that's what we do. We provide the technology, the processes, the training, and the ongoing support. Remember, I did not start with this business. I was trained on how to do this business. My son, who actually oversaw the the development of this, my idea, my creation, but my son made the mechanics, the dot, the I's cross the T's work. He was trained on how to effectively uh, collect money and all of the other, how to be, how to make the business work. So that's what we bring to it. 
and really for a very, very low, low cost, not going to get into that. But the only thing I could say, the only thing a dealer has to do is be committed that this is a business because this is a business. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I'm at a point where, you know, I have several millions of dollars out on the street. Uh, but I, uh, again, I'm self funding quite a bit of my, of the portfolio. And that's another thing you were alluding to. How does a dealer get started? The number one thing is, can I select people? Boom. That's an internal conversation. The other thing is, how do I pay for it? You know, that's the next question everyone says, all right, how do you pay for it? The fact is dealers will either self-fund, which is the the best return on your money, self-fund, Use your current lending sources. You're just lending to a different product. Or we do have a product that lends specifically to this. So you're just lending at X. You're borrowing at X and lending at Y. But no matter how a dealer wants to do it, whether it's borrow some money to lend the money or in effect, you're doing the same when you have a floor plan source anyway. So we we have the alternative for the dealer that wishes to you know fund something we have a floor plan source that will make this happen if yeah, you didn't so, want to uh, self-fund it yeah no that's that's awesome and uh we're, we'll make sure to put i want to put a link uh to uh paul's company in the show notes charity oh, sure. so we can uh if whoever listens to this and is interested in maybe doing a demo or giving them a call or something they can because this is a really really good idea it's a really good oh yeah um it's kind of a missing element, I think, in the industry to a certain degree. And during these times, it, it, it's huge. Now, I was talking to somebody about about where we are financially right now in interest rates. And I, I don't know if this is true, but I heard from a good source that we might get another spike next week. So, um, you know, obviously- Makes my product more, more attractive. <laughs> right. The more this happens. But um, this the, the person I was talking to said, listen, if you have- somebody that has bad credit, it doesn't matter if they go from an 18 to 23%. It probably doesn't matter that much. They're just happy that they're able to get into a car, right? So um, what are your thoughts on on how this, the, how does the interest rate impact this, if any? Do you think that that's something that, that people that are in the subprime market, do they really care about that? Is that something that could deter this from working if a dealership were to implement this now during these uncertain financial times? All right. Uh, interest rates going up actually helped me. My cost basis isn't going up. You know, so my cost of operation isn't going up. I can choose to raise my rates, but that's not what I'm going to do. If you are a subprime borrower and I'm getting, <clears throat> so you qualified for 18%, 19% before, we are currently getting callbacks at 22, 24, 26, 27% interest rates crazy so it is affecting the lenders no doubt about it they're raising their cost basis but i have not changed my interest rate because i'm very comfortable with the margins i'm making to be honest with you i'm very comfortable with the margins i'm making and i don't see a need because my cost basis has not gone up Hmm. my cost basis has not gone up again part of that's because i'm self-funding a a good portion of it but the fact is Because I have I am I have the profit in the front, the middle as the lender, and the end. My risk 
is so low, even if I make a bad decision, and this is actually one of the statistics that I had several people double check because I just actually couldn't believe it. We are actually even making money on our repossessions. Our average repossession loss is $5,500. Now that's for the layman, that's what the car really caught, really is worth versus what the yeah. payoff is, $5,500 difference. It may sound a lot, not a lot. I don't know. But when you tag along the money I made up front, the $4,000, I made $2,500 as the lease lender. If you string the math from end to end, by making a bad credit decision, I made $1,000. I, I did not lose not even on my bad decision. Not a bad deal. Not a bad so thing. when I say I feel like I, the process is designed to protect the dealer's risk, that is very important for me. I'm the dealer. I want to protect my own risk. So how right. do I protect my risk? All the cars, again, and some things are subject to state laws, whatever, but all my cars, A, they're covered with gap insurance. I have a maintenance plan on it to make sure the cars are maintained. Uh, they're covered by manufacturer warranties. Very important to me. And then also a tracker with starter interrupts. Now, again, there's certain states that have certain regs about that, which we tell everybody, everything we tell you to do, check with your counsel, check with your accountants, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to get into that individually, but we do tell everybody what our process is and vet it out through your own state regs. But I feel very comfortable that I know where my asset is. The technology allows for 80 to 90% of the payments to be done by a smartphone. We don't even have, you don't have customer interactions with most of the, most of the customers. They get an wow. invoice on their phone. They press a button. Payments are made, whether it be weekly, bi-weekly, monthly. You set it up to match their pay history, their pay schedule. And, and it's just, uh, it's just an easy process. I'm not going to say it's easy because, as my son said, you're always dealing the person, the people in the collections team, the customer service collection team. Unfortunately, they're dealing with the 20 or 30 that are have a problem, delinquent, whatever. They're not they're not dealing with the mm -hmm. 250 that are making their payments on time, happy, thrilled. You know, so unfortunately, you do have to take it as a real business. You know, you, you have to handle it accordingly. But the incomes generated and the customer satisfaction generated is, is through the roof. Right on. Okay. So um, I want to kind of uh, switch things here really quick because we are going, we're, we are getting close to that time, but um, I want to talk about the marketing side, man, because that's one of the things that I really liked when I heard this, when we were talking over at uh, digital dealers, dude, to me, this is like marketing gold right? Like you could have so many different angles on this thing and it would just be an instant differentiator. Hands this, down. This is a, <clears throat> I go to market as njautolending.com. New Jersey njautolending.com is how I go to market. My dealerships are obviously in New Jersey. So we do market njautolending.com or whatever vehicles we do, radio, whatever we do, that's how we market to our credit customers. That website has a 15% engagement. Wow. You talk to any marketer, if you have a website that gets 4%, they're doing right. high five. It, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's You're huge. doing cartwheels. 
15 percent, 13 to 15 percent engagement wow. every month that when you go on the website, we're gathering up a lead. And, uh, you know, so marketing gold, it's marketing gold. And, and again, think about that. I have many customers. And this is consistent with other credit marketing. I have many customers that come in just through our marketing initiative that don't end up in NJ auto lending. That's my product that end up with traditional financing. I mean, it, it right. happens all the time, you know, so just cause you're attracted to that message doesn't mean that's where you go, but that's part of the value proposition as you, sure. uh, as you yeah. pointed out is just the marketing, the marketing itself uh, is, is spectacular. Yeah, if you if you are a dealer that's looking for a way to differentiate yourself and really offer something that's you know a hook or whatever, this would be this would be amazing. You could do so much with this mm -hmm. um, and just attract so much more attention. And like you said, whether you fall into the program or not is irrelevant because once you're there, now you're looking at cars. You you know you're just looking at your at your possibilities and and you know if if you have the <coughs> right sand trap, then you're going to get more more activity from something like this the best solution oh. is some the best solution is a win-win solution anything that is as you alluded to a hook mm -hmm. you know things last so long but eventually you know the fuzz is off the peach and it you know it mm -hmm. really either works or it doesn't work this is truly a win-win solution because a i'm earning a customer that I may not have earned before be that customers getting the opportunity to no longer be a subprime borrower and could potentially change their lives if they wish to do so. So the fact is, I really believe that I've created a business model that is the best alternative financially for someone with a low credit score. And if I didn't say it before, customer with a low credit score has three options. No, I can't get approved. Obviously, we have a solve for that. Buy here, pay here, which you touched on already. What, in my opinion, the downsides are while they serve the community, it's there are differences or a high interest rate, long-term loan, which gets into, yes, it's a loan, but that's the high negative equity, never get out of it. You know, so I honestly believe I've created the best financial alternative for somebody with a low credit score that's ready to move forward. Yeah. I love it, Paul. Thank you so much, man, yeah, for doing this. Sure. We really appreciate it. Um, this is, uh, this is great, man. Uh, hopefully we can connect you with some other, uh, with some dealers and, and you guys can get some stuff going. Um, we're going to make sure to put all Paul's information in the show notes. So if you're listening to this, wherever you get your podcast fix, go to the show notes, or if you're watching this on our YouTube channel, make sure to check the video description and connect with Paul to learn more about this amazing program. I think this is super, super dope. And this is like the best time to, to kind of get it going. So uh, Paul, there is one question that we ask everybody that comes on the show. And that question is, where do you see the automotive industry headed in the next five years and why? Uh, we are, in my opinion, going to be seeing a little bit of a down cycle next year. But I do also believe there has been so much pent up demand that we will fare better than other industries because there were many people that just didn't feel like buying at the top of the market, but stood on the sidelines. So I believe we will fare better than others. I do not feel as others do that there will be a direct selling model. I do feel that manufacturers are gonna test the waters. 
Uh, one of the things that I just, I actually just wrote about, if ever a manufacturer really wanted to try, go to the one price business model, now is the time to do it because consumers would be happy paying mm-hmm. MSRP, uh, just allow the dealer the margin. But, you know, whether they do that or not, I'm, I'm not sure. But the fact is, I feel the dealerships will stay in the market for the next five years. EVs will become more prevalent, but not take over the market. And I don't think it's going to be a whole lot change other than I'm much more transparent, easier to do business with, you know, everything else, all of that stuff we've heard about. But I still think salesmen are important. Dealers are important to the to the process. Uh, And we do have a few changes coming, but nothing that a dealer that's willing to adapt a little bit can adjust to. Going out 10, 20 years, to be honest with you, may be a whole different conversation. But I certainly think a five-year window is still very, very strong for us. Right on. There you have it, folks. Paul Sansone Jr., uh, thank you so much, sir, for coming and joining us here on the on the show. Um, and thank you for tuning in. That's all the time we have for today. And as usual, we'll talk later. We only host the well-respected. The vendor Lexus Nexus. We don't sell digital marketing. What you do? We inspected what our DT vendor management. Now more than ever, businesses need more efficient sales. That's why thousands of dealerships trust Four Eyes to help with things like automated inventory email updates and ensuring all of your leads get into the CRM. To try Four Eyes for free, visit foureyes.io slash dealer talk. That's foureyes.io slash dealer talk.